0: In this digital first world, the old ways of recruiting are becoming obsolete. Or are they? The talent demands on every business has put TA squarely in the hot seat. Welcome to Talent Acquisition in the Trenches, a real dialogue podcast with talent acquisition pros closest to the front line. We want to talk to our peers who are actually doing the heavy lifting day in and day out. You're going to learn what their biggest challenges are and how they're being solved. I'm your host, Matt Reimer, and I'm here to talk about TA. I've been in TA for over 20 years, and what I know is that I don't know. I'm here to listen and learn just like you. No scripts, just real dialogue. Talent Acquisition in the Trenches is powered by NACR, the preeminent association for healthcare recruitment professionals focused on education, networking, and providing resources to enable our members to become strategic business partners in the ever-changing healthcare environment. My friends call me Reimer, so friends, let's create some new riffs with Reimer. Thanks for trenching in. Today's guest is Christian Ray. He's a managing partner at Rogue Hire, a recruitment process transformation and analytics uh, company. He is a trusted TA advisor to many with over 16 years of experience in talent analytics, recruitment operations, leadership, and lean thinking. Back in March, we sat down to discuss the launch of Rogue Hire's 14th annual healthcare recruitment benchmark study. The study has since been released, and so we're grateful to have him back on the show today to learn more about the outcomes of that study. In our March episode, we covered a few ideas like the most significant factor in driving ROI for any TA team, which is speed. We also talked about the six different dimensions that impact performance of any recruitment operations, quality of hire, efficiency, time to fill, investment per hire, and then voice of the customer. We also spent some time breaking down time to fill into its various parts, time to source, time to interview, and then decision to disposition. And so Christian, super excited to have you back on the show and learn more outcomes about this study. How are you doing today, man?
1: Hey, great, Matt. Pleasure to be here again. Looking forward to our conversation.
0: So th- this benchmark study you know, it has a lot of tenure to it, right? 14 years, and, and it was... Uh, previously operated under the uh, the Lean Human Capital banner, which is which is now uh, really owned and operated by Rogue Hire, and so last time we we talked about the importance of of just having a benchmarking program for a TA leadership group. We also talked about you know benchmarks themselves uh, and, and how important it is ha- to have the right size and type of data in your benchmarks uh, set, and and we 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 dug into ideas of having you know. Rural versus urban markets, having the right workforce makeup in the study, and then most importantly, having productivity measures in this in the study, leading and lagging KPIs. And so can you talk to us a little bit about how the data collection actually went, and, and did you meet the goals that you set out for your team back in March around size of this data set and, and variation of data?
1: Yeah, well... I think at a high level, yes, we met our objective for the, the size, the scope, and the capability, and, and the level of insights that we set out to achieve. What What is more promising is the speed and the scale and the momentum we have going into the 2024 study with, with where we are now. That the shift in going from attribute collection to, or I'd say, aggregated collection to raw data collection has has really improved our speed and our capability for publishing the data much sooner and being able to dive into deeper Mm -hmm. insights. So when we publish the data next year in April, you know, if we want to go back in June, July, and we want to look at further insights and deeper capabilities around various job families or different measurements, we have that retrospective capability now to go back and pull those out, which I think is extremely valuable.
0: And, and this, you know, data collection this moves across really all different types of of ATSs. And so, hey, if I'm in Workday, you got Workday data sets, Oracle data sets, iSim's data sets. I mean, we have a wide variety of of you know different systems that that you're collecting data from. Is that accurate?
1: Yep, it's completely accurate. And not not only are we collecting data from those various systems, but at, at the rate of change, which many of our community members are are moving from one ATS to another, we're able to stack those data sets together. So it doesn't matter if you were on Taleo going to Workday or were on Taleo going to Infor or vice versa, we're able to stack those so you can see your performance for the entire calendar year against the benchmark.
0: And, and then as a reminder for the audience, and we talked about this in in March, this is the first year... That this particular you know study was free if you provided you know data into the program how how did that go did Did you actually expand into some you know customers that took you up on that offer
1: yeah we we probably half of our data set is free participants just looking to expand mm-hmm. their knowledge on their own capabilities and and their comparisons. Some of the organizations that participated i'd say half of those we've never engaged with before in conversations, so giving them the ability to to have that level of, of insight on their performance against the industry benchmark has, has been welcomed.
0: So maybe shifting gears a little bit, so you feel good about you know, the, the N, you feel good about the data that you've got, and, and you feel good about the metrics that you're producing. How, how many different metrics are in the, the report out? And so like as, you, as you've been out you know, meeting with you know, the participants, how many different metrics are being analyzed?
1: Yeah, well, let's start with the N. So, this year's data set or benchmark study had about 95 data sets that we, that we were able to obtain. Within that 95 data sets, there was about 450,000 filled positions, about 1.8 million applicants that had, or not 1.8 million employees in, in the workforce data. And, and that work for the recruitment data came from about 2,600 different recruiters. So we're, we're, oh, wow. we're very excited about, about the size there. Now, in, in terms of the metrics that we were able to produce, we measure the metrics all the way down I mean, to the metric level. And then when we add in the the quartile and 10th distributions that we have in there, we went from publishing about 680 metrics in 2022 to publishing 3,800 metrics in 2023. And those are all three wow for the participants to obtain, if you provide the data, you get the data back. That's across 23 different job categories.
0: That's great. And so I know you've been, you know, kind of out on the the, the road, if you will, you know, doing some some webinars and know you've got some some additional work, you know, kind of coming up around that. You know, as you've been, you know, kind of in that data set, is there any, I guess, has or insights that you have gleaned in this year's study, because you've been working on this in the past, right, that has maybe shifted some of your perspectives and or beliefs uh, about what TA leaders in healthcare should be focused on now and, and into the new calendar year?
1: Yeah, well, so, some of some of that I wouldn't say is an aha, but we've confirmed and validated with data where, where the true north needs to be. And I'd, I'd say there's three metrics that stand out in this year's publication that are important for any TA leader to, to understand how they compare. The first, and we, we talked about this in our in our webinar or our podcast back in March, was basically time to fill is dead. And, and what is your time to source? So time to source is the front end of your time to fill measured from when did the candidate or when was the requisition approved to when did the candidate that you hired apply to the job. And then from there, it's time to process. Now wrapping data into this conversation, when we look at time to fill, the average rec across the industry was filled in 71 days last year. Mm-hmm. That's across all you know 450,000 data points that we had for, for time to fill. When we look at the time to process component of that, that, that only took 16 days on average. To okay. get a candidate from offer, or sorry, from application received to offer accept.
0: So, um, of the seventy-one days, sixteen of that is time to process.
1: Right. Yep. Gotcha. So the other fifty-five, we spent waiting for that candidate to apply to the position. Okay. So when we and look, that's at, your
0: time to source metric.
1: That's the time to source. So gotcha. when we look at just the ratio of time to source, versus time to process, it really makes you question, where am I investing my time in order to improve my process and my capability? Where am I putting my investment of resources? A lot of teams get fixated on the technology that may speed up what is tangible. So process time is very tangible. When was mm-hmm. the interview scheduled? You know, automating that, getting, getting things that you can see that you can control, mm-hmm. measurable and, and, and speeding that up is, is low hanging fruit i can I can measure that real time. I can see it, I can touch it. But when it comes to speeding up your time to source, it's 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 pretty squishy in terms of where do I begin because you can't necessarily see it. That candidate hasn't yet applied. So it's much more difficult to to be able to get your arms around it, and you have to have faith and you have to believe that best practices will will pull through and, and decrease that time. If I want to go from median performance of sixteen days, on my time to process to top box, you're talking about shaving off four mm-hmm. days. But if I want to go from gotcha. median performance on time to source to top box, you're talking about shaving off teen days. So mm-hmm. you got a three fold opportunity to focus on time to source and just getting to top box performance. And it, it's, yeah, it's harder to measure, but we know what top box is and we can go out there and we can talk with these Benchmark participants about what's working well, how do you have your process set up? What are you investing in? And how are you, how are you managing that end of time to fill in order to gain the competitive advantage that you have?
0: What what are some things? And and I know that we, we, you know, Rogar just released their their annual, you know, elite award winners across the, the the ecosystem. Are there some things that you're seeing top box performers in time to source? do that median performers are not doing? Is there anything that stands out to you in, in that regard? Uh, or is it just is it just the hard work of, you know, setting your capacity up, having a sourcing team, you know, focusing on that metric? I'm kind of curious yeah. on your position on that.
1: Right. I think having a sourcing team is obviously going to allow you to have an edge. But I think those that are excelling have recruiters that have a kind of a paradigm shift in how they approach filling their positions, where it's no Mm. longer about filling the requisition. It's about hiring the candidate. So, Mm. and and there's a a huge difference between the two. You know, the ATS is very rec-based. I approve the rec. I fill the rec. What happens in the disposition of all of those candidates, the ATS really doesn't care about. And and it sets a recruiter up for behaving that way, thinking that way, and making that way acceptable way of processing. Where if my focus is on hiring the candidate, you as Matt Reimer, it's my objective to hire you into my organization. It's not my objective to fill mm-hmm. this rec. this rec isn't in line with what you're looking for, that's okay. Let let's find the rec that that is an ideal position for you to land for your, for your next stage of your career. The ATS isn't set up for the recruiter to be successful with that mindset. So those that are excelling have those mental frameworks in place to be able to manage those pipelines to keep those candidates engaged, where when that rec is approved, it's like, oh, Matt Reimer was looking for this weekend rotating position. He was looking for an entry point in that could complement the other job that he has. Let me give him a call and see if this is a right time for him to make a move.
0: So we, we've talked. To, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we we had no, talked. I, you know, a little bit of in the in the last show. You know, about this idea of your of your seventy five percent advantage. And I think that you were kind of weaving the, the, a very similar thread. You know, last time, which is this, this idea that really in this market, right, candidates are giving you one shot. You know, they're coming to you. They're giving you one shot on one requisition. And then they're really not coming back, and and so you know as we sat down and, and debriefed you know this year's study, one thing that was shocking to me, but yet I intuitively know it or intuitively you know understood it from from my time in seat was you know th- this idea of inventory and how long candidates are actually sitting in these databases, and so I, I'd love to to kind of hear your you know kind of how you you know you 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 take time to source and then move it to what's Actually accruing down in the database, and how long those are sitting Mm -hmm. inactive. I I think the listeners would love to hear your point of view on that.
1: Yeah. So your 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 candidate inventory this year, we pulled into the benchmark study, and it wasn't just you know here's your candidate inventory. I mean, we we measured it at the individual job category level, so you can see the inventory across all 23 job categories, and you can see how you stack up against. Uh, the the benchmark comparison. The median across all jobs for candidate inventory was 374 days. So over a year. So the average candidate that you're hiring in is sitting in your ATS. And these are external candidates. They're sitting in your ATS for over a year before they apply to the job that you hired them on. So that could be skewed by people that have been sitting in there for four years or that, that median you know, can, can be brought down by candidates that have been sitting in there for 20 days. It really doesn't matter. But the matter of the fact is that the individual recruiter is sitting on top of the candidate that they're already going to hire, but that candidate hasn't yet applied to their position. So how are we setting up the recruiter to be successful with that opportunity?
0: And that's yeah. really the byproduct. Of this requisition focus, you know, and, mm-hmm. and really, when we think about it, right, that that is the recruiter's goal. Their goal is to fill requisitions. Let's be real about that. You know, that that subtle nuance. I think that you overlay is is you know this idea, right, that it's actually not their goal, right. And this sounds weird saying as a as a talent acquisition leader, it's actually not their goal to hire a candidate, right. When you say that out loud, that's that's an mm-hmm. interesting. Dichotomy, but that's actually the friction that creates that that lag in inventory. What what's the what, what what's the top box performance on candidate inventory? Is there is there a big delta there that shows up? I'm just I'm trying to remember for myself. Well, here.
1: I, I think I think the question is, is what what is top box when it comes mm. to candidate inventory? Like you can you know if, if if you look at the the comparison, and I'm just going to pull it up here. Candidate inventory three hundred seventy four days at the median, but the tenth percentile ranges are from five hundred and eighty seven days to one hundred and seventy three days. So wow, yeah, that huge. that range it's huge. But it's like well, what is what is good? So yeah, right. I can make the and argument is good to
0: have somebody yeah 180, yeah for right? five hundred and seventy eight
1: days. Yeah, they, they they told us yeah. two years ago that they wanted to apply and, and, and come work for our organization, and we didn't do anything about it. Is that good? No. It's good to have the opportunity that you can do something with it. But honestly, I think it's better to have a low candidate inventory because it means that you are harvesting your database regularly. And that's mm-hmm. how we need to mm-hmm. think about it. Because that, that organization, as long as you have a mature ATS that's been in place for a few years... That number, the lower the better, it means that you have pipelines that you are uh, leveraging the candidates that you already know about and that your recruiters are set up in order to not just post and pray, but to manage the pipeline, call a candidate, engage in a relationship even without needing their application on your requisition.
0: Mm -hmm. Is it your opinion that, and we've never talked about this, that time to source and candidate Inventory are linked metrics. Uh, you know, does one predict the uh, the other? Like, meaning, is time to source and my my efficiency there linked to candidate inventory, or 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 are they hand in glove metrics, or are they separate ideas?
1: I think it's too early to tell. I think that you know participating in the benchmark study is going to show you the opportunity that you have in front of you when you see that your. Mm-hmm time to source on average is 55 days and you have candidate inventory in your ATS for 374 days, mm-hmm. you you can eliminate your time to source if you have time in order to do it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's where recruitment teams need to begin to focus is how much time in my day do I have available in order to execute on this opportunity? And if your recruiters are stacked with, 60, 70, 80 requisitions on their plate, they don't have time. But if we can carve that out and make it a priority and we can flip the script that it is the candidate that's the opportunity and not the requisition, I think that we can start to make inroads on the correlation.
0: Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. So like, you know, we we were we were on site at Phenom there, you know, last week and learning more about you know their platform and and what they're trying to do with you know AI to impact this problem you know I think on the last show we talked a little bit about hired scored and what they're trying to do from a technical perspective to really activate that database and and put that that database back in front of the recruiter no, nobody's really kind of cracked that nut yet right like to where we're seeing you know robustness on on activating that database, but but certainly there's there's process and technology out there that that's directionally probably headed to to where this you know particular puck is 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 at right now. If if you were in a position as a TA leader listening to this and saying like, all right, well, I can't go buy more tech right now. How do I, right, begin to activate this data? Is it as simple as what you just said, dedicating time to it, pulling the spreadsheets, and doing the the heavy lift in, you know, phone, text, email outreach, or is there some other science or 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 tactic that one could take to 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 take advantage of this opportunity?
1: Well, I, I think the the first if, if you're wondering where do I begin, I think that the right answer is participating in this benchmark study. Mm-hmm. What is your opportunity to begin with? Do you have Do you have the opportunity in front of you? And how does your performance compare? If you If you can participate in our benchmark study, which is completely free, and you can still do it today, then you're able to show that you have the capability in pulling the data out of your system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That That's the largest challenge. Do you have the time in order to make this happen? Just to get the data, can you tell your story? Can you build? a reason for change or for trying something different. And we, we can help you tell that story. But if we can't even pull the data out to measure the performance, you can't pull the data out in order to build these pipelines. It's the same process. Hmm. So being able to access your information, whether you're measuring it or whether you're doing something with it, it's going to take the same skill level. And if you can right. participate in the benchmark study, you can get your data out.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, I guess, you know, across the the this metrics set we've talked a lot about time to source, we've we've talked about candidate inventory. Is there other, you know, I guess, insights that are kind of working their way to the top as a as a trend or or theme for this year's study?
1: Yeah. The, the, the third theme that I would say is kind of, for me, the most telling. I mean, we, we've got 3,800 metrics out there. The, the third most important would be your external hire to term ratio. Whether you are focused on time to fill or you're focused on turnover or you're focused on your offer close rate or you're focused on, hey, I, I don't have enough candidates. I need to increase my, my candidate supply. The external hire to term ratio packages all of your problems down to are we winning or are we losing? Okay. And that single metric, and, and I'll I'll explain what it what it is. It's literally how many external hires did I have last year in the calendar year? You can look at it quarterly, it doesn't matter. How does that external hire count compare to total terminations during the same time frame? And that that individual number that comes back from that ratio If you are at 1.0, it means that you are replacing every person who's leaving with Mm -hmm. with fresh blood. If you are at, let's say, a a 1.4, and let's scale this to 100 people. So if if I lose 100 people through terminations, 100 employees, if I'm at a 1.4, it means I'm bringing in 140 employees to replace the 100 that I lost. So if I'm not growing in size in my organization, that means that my vacancy should be reducing. It means that my agency should be reducing. It means that that I am keeping up and exceeding the, the rate of loss. If, if I'm at a point eight, it means that for every hundred people I'm losing, I'm only bringing 80 people back in to replace them. And those are the areas where I become concerned. So being able to look at your external hire-to-term ratio across all 23 job categories, you may be looking great overall, but when we dive into RN or we dive into nurse support or we dive into phlebotomist, that's where our opportunities become uh, very focused in terms of how do I improve this particular problem in this job category for this location?
0: what well, what is top box performance for external higher to term ratio so like what 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 would like an organization that's really doing well on the the turn versus the external hire like what what are they actually doing
1: yeah so i'm i'm looking at the 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 numbers here median across all jobs was 1.13 so for okay. every 100 people we lost we brought in 113 now when i when i look at that same metric for nursing for direct care RNs, we're at a one point zero one, and so it's the variation.
0: Treading water,
1: yeah. Yep. And, and one of the one of the two themes that we really had in this year's benchmark study is that no one experiences the average; they experience the variation. And the variation this year, it's either feast or it's famine. So the the variation on external higher to term ratio. For direct care RN, as I said, it was 1.01 on the median. That range from the top 10th to the bottom 10th is 1.89, where, where, where everybody's having a feast. And when we go to the famine, mm-hmm. it's 0.61. So that's what's keeping and our that, agency.
0: That, so that's nursing. That's just nursing, mm-hmm. right? And so that's when you're just saying, uh, so, yeah, so when you're saying, and I like that, right? Uh, and I've heard you say this before, right? No one experiences the median. Right? Mm-hmm. I just wanted to Well, they, they don't experience that, the that, average.
1: That
0: yeah. They don't experience no, the average. They experience yeah. the variation. So you're either up top, you know, finding a way to, you know, pull nurses from, you know, maybe your competitor that's in a different, you know, position. That's an interesting insight. Has yeah. it always yeah, been like that? Like that, that level of, of variation from your perspective over the, the, the course of the study? Is that new in this this uh, post we're, kind of COVID world, if you will? I,
1: I would say things like you know time to fill. It's we're, we're starting to see more variation there. Either teams are doubling down just to maintain their performance that they had pre-COVID, or their metrics are running away from them. I mean, it's not uncommon to see a team that was performing at 70 days time to fill on RN now experience 110, 115 days, mm-hmm. and that's normal. But mm-hmm. some of the variation that we see on, on a metric like external higher to term ratio, we've never measured it before. No, uh, our, yeah, we, we are looking at opening up like historical data sets to be loaded. So that way we can see not just what your 2022 was, but hey, if you want to load in, you know, 2020, 2021, give us some historical baseline so that we can kind of look at, at what, what, the, what the past performances are for comparison.
0: Makes sense. Any insights on, you know, kind of what's happening with with open requisitions? And so I know that, you know, a big thing that TA leaders are are challenged with internally, I'm just having this conversation, you know, the other day with a client, you know, is, you know, managing the age of the requisitions. And so, you know, this particular client, you know, had a decent amount of requisitions in that, you know, 150 or greater, you know, bucket. Do you see the same kind of themes happening there where where there's there's variation to be had or is requisition management pretty consistent across the board?
1: No, there's there. You you can tell looking at the benchmark data sets and the results across all 95 data sets, who has requisition management practices and policies in place versus those that don't. Mm -hmm. Those that do. And and I'll I'll explain a little bit on our open requisition metrics. We've got things like you know the average age of a requisition. We've got the breakdowns of you know what percent of your open portfolio is under 20 days, is over 60, over 120, 150, 180, and 365. Mm -hmm. So as we begin to look at the percent of your portfolio that falls into each of those buckets, those that have requisition management policies, practices in place have less and less requisitions as those ages, ages start to climb all the way to the point where where you're looking at you know, what percent of recs are aged over a year. Those with strong performance have 3% or less. Hmm. And, and some, some of them have 0%. Very, very large shops that are out there are, are managing them
0: quite well a lot of that you know to to your point you know comes down to actually having a you know a process in place to evaluate you know requisitions when they hit certain thresholds and ensuring that you know even things like the ratio of prns to full time part time part time don't enter into the ecosystem this is kind of the the rift that i was having with a you know a client here um last week which is like hey Got a lot of PRNs in, and and Matt, you and I both know that like I'm not working on those PRNs, mm-hmm. and so did, did that same thing show up in the the data set?
1: It did. Yep. Yeah, we we've never measured a ratio of PRN, or you know, some of you may refer to them as as contingent per diem. they're they're just the on call staff that you have. Those positions, you can't necessarily just go out and source for. It's really a preference of the candidate of, of wanting that that level of, of engagement with your organization. But we oftentimes get caught in a reliance on PRN, and mm-hmm. we don't have as many controls or safeguards over how we treat PRN positions. So those positions usually age more. My guess is if you don't have good rec management policies in place, if you look at your top 10 or top 20 oldest RECs in your portfolio, PRNs probably make up half of them, yet they're Mm. probably 15% of your entire portfolio. So what it does is not only increases your overall counts of open requisitions across the board, but those requisitions then begin to compete with the actual RECs that you need to fill when they get scraped by tools like Indeed. Mm. So we need to think more strategically about how we're leveraging pipelines as it relates to PRNs, maybe keeping those requisitions out of the system, but investing into kind of elevating our, our, our pipelines within, within the scrapes. We also need to keep in mind how those PRNs are positioned within our team. Not only do they dilute our open recs that we have on our recruiter's plate, where, hey, if my, my recruiters have 55 open recs on average, you know, does everybody have 55 open recs or do yeah. some have, you know, 25 when you when you take out the PRNs that they're not working yeah. on? So being able to level load your team with understanding how are my PRNs being positioned is important. And then the the, the last factor related to the PRNs is, is having separate rec management policies for them. So how are we treating them as they age? And, and how are we how are we encouraging the organization to to make sure that we're set up for success? And then also, when, when you look at a large job category like direct care RNs, you know mm-hmm. you you may have a team that's service line based, and all of the direct care RNs are, are with the same recruiters, which are great. But we could even go a step further in making sure that the PRN direct care RN positions are all with the same recruiter too. Because Hmm. chances are when you have one person that applies to a PRN, RN job, that you can just talk with that candidate about all the options. Now, we all say, you know, oh, we can, you know, share requisitions or share candidates with, with other recruiters. But let's face it, when you got 70 open recs you're trying to fill, you're probably not prioritizing that candidate. You're prioritizing the rec going back to what we talked about earlier.
0: Yeah so you, you had mentioned, you know, just, you know, re- recruiter and, and in the end, right, the responsibility to fill. Does this year's study answer, you know, how many requisitions a recruiter should be filling annually? Does this study answer that?
1: It answers the question of how many requisitions a recruiter fills. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't answer the question of how many should they be filling, given mm-hmm. the conditions that they're, that they're under. Mm-hmm. So we have measurements of productivity and resourcing within the benchmark study. And just by participating in the study, you have, you have access to these metrics. So when we look at recruiter productivity at the at top box, they're filling you know, 200 jobs per recruiter per year. We also have those metrics broken down with recruiter and sourcer. And then we have them with the entire team. So when we go to the entire team, we're looking at productivity that includes FTEs from the leaders, from the administrative support staff, plus the recruiters, plus the sourcers across positions filled annually. So being able to understand how you compare to the benchmark is important. But we know based on our dimensions of performance and year over year measuring, you know, what does elite performance look like? When we look at those teams, we know where they should be operating in terms of their capacity and their level of resourcing, which doesn't necessarily align with top box or median benchmark staffing mm-hmm. ratios. Mm-hmm. When it comes down to just strict resourcing metrics, we know, you know, how many fills per admin, we know how many fills per sourcer, we know how many organizational FTEs do we have in comparison to each recruiter that's on our team. So those are good high level places to begin, but it doesn't answer the question of, well, I don't have any applicants and how should I design my team around that? Or, you know, I've just got a a completely different process that I have to operate under and how should I be set up for success given, given those criteria? So each, each question of how should they be is, is a little bit different, but we definitely have the benchmark comparisons for, for at least a baseline place to begin.
0: And so this data set is a, you know, a, a snapshot, if you will, of, of 2022 performance. And so you, you had mentioned that, you know, we'll, we'll do this again, you know, in calendar year 2024 for the snapshot Of 2023. Mm So, when will the 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 next report land? Like, when when will that one be be released?
1: Well, we'll be we'll be collecting data, you know, beginning of January, and our goal is Mm -hmm. to have publication out by I think it's April 19th this coming year. So, we'll we'll be able to publish much sooner with the process and framework that we have developed. Those that have participated in the past, it's really not going to change too much with the a couple of small exceptions that we're making to improve the value in our benchmark. But overall, yeah, we'll be we'll be publishing again in April, but you can still submit your 2022 calendar year data today and, and compare yourself to the publication from from this year.
0: Yep. Join hundreds of your healthcare TA peers and enjoy the benefits of a NACR membership today, free educational webinars, access to our listserv, and discounts to your CHCR certification. All of this and much, much more for as low as eighty dollars per person annually. Learn more at knacker.com. That's n-a-h-c-r.com. And so, you know, one of the things that that I that I know you're you're passionate about, and and you know, the snapshots are good, right? Like, hey, this gives me some directional understanding, lagging, you know, on you know, kind of how I did, maybe some areas that I need to think deeper about. Maybe helps me have some conversation with my executive team, you know, as I'm doing things like budget planning, you know, so on and so forth. But 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 you do talk about freshness of data and and you know ensuring that you know your your scorecard and your benchmarking has you know recency and relevancy maybe in nearer time to observe changes and patterns, you know, within your operation and so. Can, can you talk a little bit about how you know you, you move from a static report into a more dynamic scorecard so how might one bring this in to their operation and start to not score yourself against yourself but score yourself against the the industry as a whole can you talk a little bit about that
1: yeah so our premium community members through through rogue hire have access to the scorecard level of of information relating to the benchmark. So when I'm talking about scorecard, I'm talking about submitting data quarterly or more frequently to Rogue Hire. And in return, you have a scorecard that has the metrics that we published this year and more in comparison to those benchmark thresholds, but it also gives you the dynamic capability of drilling into your root causes. So publishing in the free is, is great, or participating in, in the free benchmark is great directionally, but being able to isolate opportunities and look at performance as it changes quarter over quarter, as you make improvements, as the industry changes, as you implement different technologies and processes, or as you, you begin to ramp up your team and their skill set through education, it is helpful to have that more recent data at your fingertips so when i when i talk about a dynamic scorecard no longer do you have that pdf in front of you you literally have those metrics across all 23 job categories but you can drill into your own segmentation of that data Mm. so off to the right of that that scorecard if you want to drill into uh, regions within your organizational structure You can select those different regions and your scorecard automatically pivots. Mm -hmm. If you want to drill into individual facilities and have a conversation with a CNO or a COO or somebody that's in charge of a particular service line, you have that capability there. If you want to take that scorecard and drill into, oh, just show me this part of my recruitment team, you have that option of of drilling in. Or if I want to talk to an individual recruiter either about their performance or more importantly about the challenges that they're up against, you can select their name from the dropdown and then that scorecard automatically updates to the positions filled or the open requisitions for that individual recruiter. As you shift to the workforce data, and we talked about that external hire to term ratio, let's say my organization has 20 different facilities in it or it has 10 different job categories. Within a couple of minutes, I can go through all 20 facilities and I can look at each of the 10 different job categories for all the position or all of the workforce data that I have and look at my external hire to term ratio for each of those 200 segmentations just within a couple of minutes, a couple of clicks of the mouse. So being able to, to quickly look at that and and understand, you know, how do I compare? It's obviously it's color coded against the benchmark thresholds, so you can very quickly tell: am I green, yellow, or red, just by looking at the scorecard. I don't even need to look at the individual metrics; I can tell just by clicking and watching it flash different colors where where my opportunity should be based on on the performance metrics set that are coming back. So that's why we went to the raw data level is to have that dynamic. Ability to look at your data and have those dynamic conversations, because being able to have that tool in front of me as I'm engaging with executives, as I'm engaging with service line stakeholders, is is what's giving us the competitive edge that we need to build the buy-in, to build the support, to manage the change, and to have that collaboration that's necessary in order to, to get to top
0: box performance. Sometimes, you know, the 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 data conversation for you know the, the talent acquisition manager and, and and last question, I know you're busy and I I gotta get you, you know, back out there to doing what you're doing here, but that a data conversation, whether it's a TA leader or a TA manager, you know, hey, I'm running a team of ten to fifteen. Hey, I got managers breathing down my neck, hey, you know, I got now this this robust data set, I got it, but I got the data. So I'm just kind of curious, and, and you know, we, we've talked, I think, a couple of times about this. When, when you think about things like you know, machine learning, artificial intelligence, moving into a lot of different facets of our life, do you believe that there comes a point in time where there is more predictive data sets for TA managers that snuff out? some of these, you know, red, yellow, green dynamics in this, the in these large data sets and points them like, Hey, you know, you know, Sally hasn't really activated her time to source or, you know, her candidate inventory is really low. You might want to check in on her and, and, you know, work on X, Y, or Z or the alternative, uh, you know, Hey, you know, maybe you should peek over here at what's going on with Johnny's, you know, uh, referral, you know, source as a source of hire, you know, do do you think we get to that point, or are we way off, you know, from that future?
1: I, I think we're already living in that future. I think that these opportunities are already there with many of these tools and technologies, and they're extremely valuable if they're used uh, as as a way to to manage operations
0: mm-hmm. at
1: at the individual contributor level. So, yeah. When we make the decision to buy a technology or to invest into it as a leader, you know that that's our decision. But that's to me, it's a stroke of a pen to get that technology in place. How we use it day to day is a change management opportunity. So mm-hmm. I, I really would focus eighty percent of my effort on that change, changing habits, changing mm-hmm. behaviors making sure that I have the support necessary for those that are actually going to operationalize that tool, you know, whether it's leveraging that referral database or that referral software, or it's managing that pipeline that that AI is generating for me, am I, am I using it the way that it's prescribed? Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, there's, there's some sense of individual accountability that's at play there, but we, we need to make sure that that buy-in is secured at the front end of it, otherwise, you know, we aren't going to see the results that we have anticipated, and, and what that tool is intended to produce. I think one of our frameworks at at Rogue Hire, in, in the way that we manage projects, is helpful. We we subscribe to you know the four disciplines of execution in terms of looking at that goal. So if if our if our opportunity is around making sure that we have you know, 42% of our external hires coming from referrals in order to to meet you know top box performance. Okay, what are our leading indicators that support that? You know, it may be I'm looking at my referrals every day and make it measurable, make it meaningful. I'm calling 10 of them every day. And and once you have that leading indicator and there may be three or four of them that you need in place in order to achieve that level of forty two percent, what is my scoreboard? So get your team rallied around that scoreboard in the execution of that leading indicator and make it fun, make it, make it a game, reward top performers, talk to your team about how, what, what, what are we missing the mark on, how can we improve tomorrow, how can I get 10% better next week? If you don't have that uh, that mindset on your team, that's, that's the root cause of all your problems it's not the technology, it's not the accountability, it's, it's the continuous improvement culture that that we need to address. Once you have that scorecard in place, then it comes down to the accountability. How are you ingraining that into the way that you manage and how your team manages day in and day out and make it fun? So I, I think that 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 would be how I would approach the answer to that question because it's, it is already there. Now, how integrated it, it is with all the other tools and, and processes. That's another question in itself. But I think the elements are there in order to to make this happen today. Yeah,
0: yeah, I love that. Well, I think that's a great spot to land for today. And I always learn something new when I sit with you. And so I, I really appreciate the, the 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 depthness and and how you think about you know talent acquisition process and in improvement. And and I and I love that that you brought. It full circle, you know, as it relates to leveraging all of this data to not be punitive, but to reward, to celebrate, and then to you know kind of help keep score on these teams. I mean these these uh, these are some grind jobs, right? Hey, if I'm in if I'm in a you know low 25th percentile and I'm filling 300 jobs a year, right? You know. Is that just the grind, or is there something larger there? And so, I love this element of, of uh, you know, kind of using the analytics that that are in front of us to celebrate and, and reward. And so, Christian, thanks so much for for coming on the show. Just one one last kind of clarifier: this data set is is acute and post-acute, so it's very niche, but it's it's both. Is there anything beyond those, you know, two primary aims for for this generation of the database?
1: for this generation in anything in healthcare, okay. you know, I mean, so if, if I'm in healthcare,
0: if, there's something of value in here for me.
1: Yeah. And you know, if you're in, if you have acute post acute, and you also have an insurance leg of your organization, we'll take all the data and yeah. you'll be able to really get a lot of value out of, out of participation.
0: Awesome. You're out on LinkedIn. So I'm, I'm assuming it's okay for people to ping you out there. And if they want to participate in the database, roguehire.com, submit to N, and they'll be off and running.
1: Yep. Appreciate the opportunity, man. All right,
0: Christian. Yeah, man. I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Thanks for coming on, and see you around. All right. We want to thank you for listening to TA in the Trenches. We are produced by Iron Mike and his team at Ironbound Media. Keep up the great work, team. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, and check out all of our episodes at knacker.com. That's N-A-H-C-R.com. You also can find me out on LinkedIn where you'll find quick show riffs. Feel free to ping me. I always respond. Bye for now.